coming up on the Branding Deep Dive Podcast. And I think, and I'll get into this way down, this is a huge issue we had down the line, was a lot of people still thought we were still an organization instead of nonprofit. So that shift was really hard for us, actually. Mm. But initially, as a student organization, we're doing a lot of similar organization things. The 25 grand that we got from a different state, like this was in like, I don't know, it was like Minnesota or some like random state that we got this from some dude's <laughs> basement was like, wow, maybe there's something here that we can do, right? Um, so you're saying just, that was the moment where you guys, you guys were confident. Now we're not a student organization. Now we're nonprofit, yeah. correct? Yeah, that was the moment. This is Ahmed Shima and welcome to the Branding Deep Dive podcast. If you're new here, on this podcast, we have in-depth discussions on what brands are doing well to drive customer loyalty and how you can take those principles and apply them to your own brand. In this episode, we're talking to Umar Elias, who is one of the co-founders of the nonprofit organization, Fani. We're going to be diving deep on the story of Fani and really dissecting what it takes to brand an international nonprofit organization. If you are launching a brand of any kind, whether it's a business, a nonprofit organization, or even just your personal brand, I want to take a moment here and let you know to go grab a notebook and pen because you're going to want to take notes. Now, here's Omar Elias. All right. Omar Elias, what is up, man? How are you? Chilling, Shima. Chilling. It's an honor to be here with two of the greatest podcasters of the world. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it is a pleasure. <laughs> it's a pleasure having you on. Um, I, I know you're a hard man to reach. Uh, you're already on phone calls quite a bit as it is. You're busy with your own things. Uh, you're running. It seems like you have six different things going on at the same time. So I really appreciate you taking out the time. Uh, for our audience that may not be familiar with uh, the illustrious Omar Elias, wow. uh, please give them a brief introduction to who you are. Uh, and, um, and if you could kind of actually just first who you are. And then of course you could touch on Bonnie uh, as we're talking about Bonnie here today. Yeah, definitely. I've never been called illustrious. So I'm, I'm very proud of this moment right now. I'm going to start using that in my resume section. We, we've never been called the greatest podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> I felt like we had to match it. <laughs> so we're both lying. To each other. <laughs> no, it's but, a new day uh, for both of us. <laughs> Oh, man. So my name is uh, Omar Elias, Omar Elias, if you're uh, Arab. Um, I am a first-year master's of public health student studying global epidemiology. Um, so a lot of the work that I've done in the past has been related to like the Middle East and um, South Asia. It's a, lot of been, it's a lot of it has been how can I take the, the resources that we have here and not even empower, but like amplify the work that's being done. And so part of that kind of culminated into a nonprofit, and that's called Bani, and, which means water for our non-Pakistani speakers. Um, and what Bani does is it essentially looks at the root cause of the water crisis that's growing in Pakistan. And it looks to kind of see what are the best ways to build water systems, provide some sort of temporary solution while looking for permanent solutions down the line. So that's kind of where Bani comes in. So real quick, uh, I do want to hit you with some questions right off the bat. But I love questions. I do want to make a disclaimer for the audience. Uh, and I want to add a footnote to your little bio that you just gave. Uh, Elias is also a world-renowned YouTuber with 144 <laughs> subscribers. So check him out at Omar Elias. Uh, he's making a comeback. So he, in October, was it October? 
Yeah, wait, when was October? When did you start daily blogging? No, no, that's in August. August. So in August, yeah, in August, this guy started daily vlogging and he took his channel from zero to 140 subscribers uh, in a month and then he just stopped. (laughs) He just decided that he didn't care about the audience anymore. (laughs) Uploading. But he's making a comeback, right? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, bro. This podcast is started is like the start of my comeback right now, actually. Right, we'll, we'll we'll time it out so it's released at the same time. So <laughs> I like that. My people will talk to your people. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Perfect. So I, I do want to get back to Pani here. So hmm. you said the root cause of the uh, water crisis in Pakistan. Talk to us a little hmm. bit about the water crisis in Pakistan. Yeah, sure. So. Um, there's a lot of different estimates that have come out, but back in 2016, there were estimates that had started being released, not only just from like Pakistan's own like health department, but across the world from different independent organizations that started saying that Pakistan's reaching absolute water scarcity um, by 2025. That's what the estimates are saying. And what that means, that's like the last threshold as designated by the UN before your country has like very little water, right? Like it's, <laughs> you're in a bad spot, right? And so that was the first moment where uh, a lot of people started noticing, shoot, like there is something bigger happening. And that's when, you know, when the prime minister Imran Khan was inaugurated back in 2018, one of the first things that he said was, you know, addressing all the different crises that are happening across Pakistan. But he highlighted for the first time uh, that the water crisis is the biggest crisis that Pakistan is facing at the moment. Um, that was in 2018 obviously COVID is pretty big right now and the economic <laughs> crisis is also getting bigger too but um what that means especially in the rural parts of Pakistan a lot of areas they just don't have clean water right and so because of that um and because of how innate water is to existence like that leads to health diseases that come out it leads to infection rates going up it leads to uh, a lot of other just illnesses and and uh, a reduction in quality of life so that's a brief overview of what's happening and so how did you guys get interested in this topic? Like how did like Omar Elias sitting in, you know, Michigan, how did mm-hmm. he, and, and talk to us a little bit about like the co-founders too, this whole story, you yeah. know, you guys have your story on the, the website. So talk to us about that. Like, how did this happen? Did, yeah, did Imran Khan call you and say, Hey, Omar Elias, we need you to <laughs> help us out here. <laughs> he actually found me on YouTube and he's like, Hey, man. <laughs> But <laughs> this this well, guy looks like he can help with our water. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no, so the way it started was so random. Like I was not interested in international work at or international work in Pakistan at that point. I was interested in like refugees, some like the prison population here. So I was in a completely different zone. Um and then I met up with three other Pakistanis. There's one kid named Sikander, or also known as Sunny Khan, uh a kid named Iman Khan and a kid named Arham Rashad. The Khans aren't brothers, they're just Punjabis, bro, Khans. Um, and so what happened is we're sitting down, we're eating like, I was painting the story because it's, I want people to understand how random it was when we came up with this. And we were literally eating fish burgers at Wendy's. And it's because fish burgers finally came out at Wendy's. We're sitting there, we're talking, we're eating, and someone just finds this article of this like water crisis developing. Um, and in the middle of, you know, us talking about exams and stuff, they brought it up like, yo, like, there's a water crisis in Pakistan. And I was like, yeah, you know, when I was younger, I remember not drinking from the tap, that's, that's bad. Like, they tell you not to do that. Um, and like, no, no, like, this is like legit. Like now, now it's, it's not only impacting rural parts it's going to the urban parts it's going to like areas that people thought for a long time were like safe from crises, right? Like defense, which is like a rich part of Pakistan or, or Beriaton or other areas that are like, were more well off. Um, and so we were looking at it said like, wait, you know, we, our parents are Pakistani immigrants. We are the children of Pakistani immigrants. 
Um, and, you know, our parents were part of that generation that left Pakistan because there were opportunities there, right? So there's massive brain drain. There isn't a lot happening right now in terms of work being done for the water crisis. We're like, okay, we're young kids. I'm doing public health. The other guys are doing like business or economics. I'm like, we can easily think of something to do, right? Something small. And so I remember the first thing that someone says, yo, what if we sell donuts? And I was like, that is the dumbest idea I've heard. And he's like, no, 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 think about it. Like a he's like, if we, a bake sale. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I guess we can solve the entire water crisis through 500 bucks. And he's like, no, no, let's start it. <laughs> and so uh, it took us like five months or six months of us. To start a bake sale? <laughs> of us doing consecutive bake sales. Uh, we'd go to Myers and get like donuts and then we'd like sell them uh, at the at the fishbowl or like the student center area. Um, or we'd get them free from this one. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I want to, I want to make sure I'm getting this. So Please. you're saying that you guys had one of your friends had the idea of let's do a bake sale, sell donuts for, to raise money for the water crisis in Pakistan, correct? Yeah. 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 And so at this time, was the organization called Bani or are you guys still just raising money for a cause? No, no. So we had called, we like the idea of Bani was like in the air, like it wasn't cemented, right? Like it was like, oh, we could eventually call this something cool, like a water crisis organization or something. So, so it's like a collective. Yeah. So when you're there at the fishbowl with your donuts, what are you guys saying to people? We're saying, hey guys, like this is a, there's a water crisis developing, um, and we're trying to sell donuts uh, to do that. And I think, <laughs> you, <laughs> sorry, you, what? <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you this: Did you have like, um, like some sort of uh, basis to be uh, bake selling from? Like, were you under like the PSA or the MSA or something? No, no, we were under. We were just a collective bunch of guys that had got oh, together. Okay. And when we first, so, so here's the thing. So it took us like six months to do this big sale, like these consecutive big sales, right? Right. And so within that six months, that's when we started cementing the idea of like, oh, funny. And then, um, oh, like we can become a student organization or, oh, we can do X, Y, Z, whatever. So during that six months, it was almost like an incubator for ourselves as well, right? And we were kind of mm-hmm. refining what it meant to be this collective during that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyways, we're selling these donuts for like six months. And, and through that six months, we eventually developed this identity of like, oh, we're funny, we sell not, we sell donuts at this point, but like we were raising money to, to help out this water crisis that's happening, right? Um, and so from that, what, what kind of happened is by at the end of six months, we raised like six, seven hundred dollars. And we took that money and we donated it to another nonprofit. We're like, oh, here's a nonprofit. We'll give them the money. We had we knew like the founder of that nonprofit to be like some family connection or something. So we just gave them the money to say, hey, like we'll set it up. We can put Bani on, on the little plaque and, and write our not our their nonprofit organization on the plaque as well. Like, wow, this is cool. And so when they finally sent us the pictures of that non or of that well-being boat, that was the moment of like, whoa, this is this is legit. We can actually do something um greater, right? I was like, listen, we're a bunch of like kids going to the University of Michigan. I'm like, like this is a disgrace to our names if all we can do is sell donuts and raise like 600 bucks once every two years to build wealth. There's, there's that elitism. There we go. There's, <laughs> there's that animal so pride. If, if, if anyone asking what the Michigan difference is, it's that pressure that it puts on you <laughs> to, to start to start a to to have a startup. <laughs> so, in all seriousness, though, I, I do want to. I know this is probably a story that you've told many times and yeah. you're probably so used to telling it that you're not getting in the nitty-gritty details so i do want to break it down like hey, how much money this first well how much did that cost the first well cost us roughly 500 to 600 dollars. i can't remember the exact amount it was a couple years and, two, three years and how many bake sales did it take to get to that point oh man probably how many donuts sold 
<laughs> I do not remember the itinerary exactly, but I know it took us like five or six, eh, maybe like six, seven bake sales. And so, so we were doing it like, we were doing it whenever we had time to do it. Because we're all like students, we're doing our own thing. And this was like a collective. We didn't have like this like vision. Gotcha, gotcha. Get, so you say like probably weekly-ish? Yeah. Roughly weekly-ish. Yeah, yeah. So let me amend what I said earlier. Then I don't think it took six months for the bake sales. Probably more like three, four months. Yeah, because it was a semester basically. That mm, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And, so and how old are you at this point? We are, man, when was this? This is like 2018. So we are young, but we are in early 20s. Some of us are 19. Uh, I make it sound like I'm 30 right now, but no, this is like when I was earlier than what I am right now. I think I was like 20 or 19 at that point. Everyone else was around that same age. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyways, so then uh, after we kind of got the money and we built it and we had someone else build the, the well and everything and we got the results, we were like, whoa, we had to lead to some kind of sink inside. And we're like, whoa, we can, we can do more. <laughs> you know who I am? I'm Omar Ilyas. <laughs> I'm a University of Michigan student. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I think that was like the, on a serious note, it was more of like, okay, like there are other opportunities. There, there's work that is being done. How can we optimize that work, right? And, you know, I'm a, I was a public health student. I still am a public health student. They were two Ross kids and econ major. Um, and so the first thing that the Ross could do, like, okay, we see the system that exists. Like, how do we optimize this to make sure that profits are, are being directly, how do we limit costs and like increase revenue? I don't know. They're, they're hitting me with all these like, business terms. I don't know what they're saying. Mm -hmm. But that was the first point where afterwards we sat in a room together. We're like, okay, we're giving money to other organizations to build wells. How much does wells cost? And what we started realizing a lot of these nonprofits are overcharging. Um, and I mean, there's different reasons for it. Some people are like, they have huge operating costs. A lot of them run on like a very inefficient like operating system. Like a lot of them have like so many people that they have to pay. A lot of them have their own teams in, in multiple parts of Pakistan. Um, they pay tech people, they do whatever. And then you have like four brown kids that are running off of volunteers that they find on the streets, right? So there's a difference obviously in, in the capacity that we're both scaling for, right? I'm, I'm just curious. So is it like the Ross business students that analyze these other companies? They're like, yeah. hold up. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, what am I going to do with my public health background? Let me understand these finance balance sheets. Here. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was, that was the moment where a lot of us were like, okay, wow, there is something greater that we could do. Um, and we started looking into these different, what do you call them? These different nonprofits started seeing that there's huge disparities in how much it costs and how much they're selling it for. Um, and I remember as soon as we kind of figured that out, that was the point where like, whoa, we need to do something because I think all of us in the beginning, we were sure we had this idealistic background of like, you know, every dollar that comes to us, we have to donate every single dollar. It is disrespectful to keep a single dollar. There are no such things operating because it happens when you're young, you're like idealistic. You become like the next like Alexandria, Cotia Cortez. Like you're just trying to like make it big and like sell, <laughs> you sell yourself on idealism, right? Um, and so that's what we did. So we realized Wells cost about 225 bucks. But I, this is what we're selling Wells for. Um, and that was the idea. We're like, okay, we know how much it costs. We know how much we want to sell it for. Like, now we need a vendor. Like, I'm not going to fly to Pakistan if we can build a well. Like, that's not going to work. <laughs> we need to figure out some like logistical method for this to, to really uh, blossom to where we want it to be. And so what we found is um, a team, not even a team. We found a guy on LinkedIn of all places first. Um, I didn't even find him. One of, one of the co-founders, Sunny. He's a, 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 a Mahara. He's famous at using... Um, LinkedIn to find like the randomest connections. And so what he found is this one young guy who's starting it like nonprofit, a project basically in Pakistan um, that was trying to scale, but they had some funding in the past. They didn't have funding now. Pakistan itself is going through a weird, weird um, kind of 
climate right now with like money coming in, money coming out. So a lot of the international funding that we're getting earlier, some of it wasn't coming as cleanly anymore. Some of it wasn't coming at all. Um, and so we struck up conversation. They showed us like the legitimacy. <laughs> I'm going to speed through this because it's like a boring part. But like basically we like had a bunch of conversations with them to figure out if they're legit or not. Um, and once that was established through like a lot of different methods, uh, we're like, all right, here's our team. And so we developed a partnership with this team at Sing. And that was the start of Fania as it is now, right? Okay. Well, okay. I want to take a step back now. Hey, there's a there's a couple of things I want to dive into, and I'll do it now. I'll let you kind of touch on the things you want to touch on too. But um, at this point, you are established now as Bonnie, correct? Yeah. Like now you create your. We are Bonnie at this point. Yes. So like you're officially documented with the state of Michigan as yeah. a nonprofit and everything. Five hundred one c three by twenty nineteen. Nice. Okay. And so one of those years. On the subject of finding people on. LinkedIn and finding reliable connections to work with. I think the audience can really benefit from any advice you have in that space of trying to find people and then vetting them to understand whether, you know, this is going to be a good person to work with. Cause that is so tough, but you know, like a lot of people in that are probably listening to us will go to Fiverr mm-hmm. or sites like this to find someone overseas to do some work for them. Yeah. But the quality is not necessarily what they want for their business, mm-hmm. right? And so what advice can you offer to the business owners, to the nonprofit owners that are listening that want to outsource some work uh, overseas? How can we vet our talent better? Mm. That's a complicated question. I think, you know, part of it, people might not like this part of the answer, but part of it is luck, right? You get what you get, right? But I think the part of that you have control over um, is two things. One is a lot of times, if your LinkedIn is like large enough or you have enough connections, whatever, a lot of times people that you're reaching out to, they have other connections too. There's some sort of shared like, oh, he has three connections, four connections with you, whatever. A lot of times if you start hitting those people up, 50% of the time they're like, oh, I don't know who this guy is. We kind of just found him and like added him on LinkedIn. You know, you know how it is on LinkedIn. But there might like there is the odd chance that where someone's like, oh, I know this guy. I can either vouch for him at all. Like I've worked with him in the past. Like, I don't know. He's kind of sketchy, right? So we relied initially we like the first vetting part of it was just like, is there anyone that knows this man? Um, and if we could find anything from LinkedIn connection, if we could find anything online, um, and then to decipher if he's done the things that he says he's done. So I think that was key. Um, but to answer what you were saying, Chima, so like when we started vetting people, one of the, the third criteria was like, have they done the things they've said they've done? Right? So a lot of people, they claim big things on LinkedIn. Right? They're like, hey, I've started AUG, like a fire nonprofit. People say whatever they want to say. And a lot of times you can't vet it. But if I can find legitimacy for what they've said, like they say, I've written like X amount of articles. I can find the articles. I'm like, okay, at least he's saying that he's done the things that he's actually done. Because a lot of people that like, I'm using articles as a baseline example. It's a really simple example, but it applies to bigger things as well. Some guy will be like, hey, like I've written like seven articles, three of them were published on XYZ, uh, XYZ Journal. Now I know if it's published, I should be able to find it. If mm-hmm. I can't find it, this man is either like there was some miscommunication or like he's not legit, right? Um, and I'm going to veer on the side of caution and think he's not legit automatically, right? So it kind of, if I can poke holes in your backstory on LinkedIn, like it's not a good look, right? Mm. I think that's really important that you brought that up. So on the subject of your personal brand, so for the listeners that are uh, listening right now, this is not just a lesson that we can apply for hiring people but also for your personal brand. Like 
I think a lot of people want to paint an image of themselves that's a lot bigger than reality uh, and understand that the biggest asset you have in your personal brand is, is someone else willing to vouch for you, right? Word of mouth is the most powerful tool. Like if I say, Abdul Manan, Omar Elias is a guy to get stuff done. Like then Abdul Manan trusts me, right? And so then he's going to trust Omar Elias. And that's a trust that you don't want to break. And so if someone's willing to put their name on the line for another person, that's a pretty big deal. So I think it's really important that you mentioned that. So for the audience, again, that point is like, look, if you're working with someone overseas uh, and you don't necessarily have access to talk to them, you don't have personal connections, you got to figure out a way to, you know, see if their backstory actually lines up with reality. And then for your own brand, it's to make sure you have people on your side that can vouch for you. Yeah. And how do you get people on your side? You actually do what you say you're doing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. Uh, the, the poke holes thing is great because I think we both know some brands that we were looking at uh, once upon a time and we're like, these guys don't exactly do what they say they do. Um, they don't have any proof of it. Um, one of the big things, especially in the marketing space is, uh, you know, statistics and numbers are easy to find um, and to see whether or not a marketing team, a marketing expertise uh, company has helped you with your marketing or not. It's easy. You just pull up the numbers. Uh, and then, you know, these guys market themselves as, as such, and then you pull up the numbers and there's, uh, there's obviously a little bit of discrepancy or they don't even share those values, the, the value that they provide. So it's like, huh? So that's, that's, that's a big thing. Make sure you don't have the holes in your own system. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's continue the story. I'm really, sorry to cut you off. No, no, this is beautiful. I'm learning. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, well, I think we were at, um, kind of you, like you established your connection with someone overseas. Yes. Yeah. So you, yeah. You just kind of got off the ground, right? Bonnie is now a thing. So now I'm actually interested to see, I know you probably have your, I don't want to cut you off in your no, 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 flow no. of thoughts, how you do it, but I do want to, uh, at this point, did you guys have a social media presence or are you Man. not doing that yet? Um, yes. We did very weak, very weak social media presence, but it existed, right? Because, oh wow, I actually forgot 2020 existed. I think my timeline might have been off in terms of years, but <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. But in, so I graduated 2019, so everything, everything basically happened in 2018. Let me just clarify that for anyone who's listening. I don't know if that's necessary or not. But in terms of story, what comes next is at least when we were doing the big sale, we had by the end of it a, a, a name, a brand, and a logo. The logo is actually, we came up with the logo randomly on, um, like, we're just chilling together. And I was like, oh, like, I've looked up, I've, oh, it was because I was really interested in Urdu calligraphy at that point. And then I'm like, yo, Bonnie kind of looks like a water drop. I'm like, oh. So I remember I drew it out, and I wasn't good at calligraphy. So I drew it out, and I'm like, oh, this looks kind of nice. And I gave it to a friend who was good at calligraphy. And he drew it, and I was like, bro, this is beautiful. And then he sent it to someone else, and someone digitized it for us. But I give that logo example because that was as soon as we had the logo, then we could start marketing ourselves, right? Because the thing is, if you enter a market before you actually have a brand yourself, you're releasing, you're letting people into a, a world that you haven't developed fully yet either, right? Mm. If I'm trying to sell Bonnie to you and I don't have a logo, I don't even have a name, you're going to get confused if the first month you follow my page. Two months later, it's a completely different name and a completely different logo. You're like, wait a minute, what just happened here? And then are you likely to invest in someone that has confused themselves, right? especially for a nonprofit, right? Everything mm. that we do is built on like how legit Us. can I convince you I am? Yeah, yeah. Ah. that's huge. That's a big point. 
That's a really good you want, point. Yeah. You, you want to repeat that, Shimo? You want me to take it? <laughs> you got it. So we're talking about, so one of the things obviously from this episode with Omar Elias is that we want to see um, the the concepts behind how you can brand a charity, right? Because Bonnie is a nonprofit organization. And one of the things that you just said right now is that nonprofits are built on trust and you can't trust a nonprofit without, you know, if you see discrepancies in their branding and the particular example he used was to start without a logo, start without some sort of foundation. Right. And I think that we can extend that to not just nonprofits, but any brand that you're building. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't think it's necessary. Like if people, if you're telling them a different story every day, people are going to stop trusting you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You I mean, (laughs) so they're not going to be willing to part with their, they're not going to be willing to part ways with their money. They don't trust you. Yeah. That's big. Huge. I think I think while we're on the topic of the logo itself, uh, we'll just drop this little tidbit gem that we realized. Um, but obviously, as an you know international organization, you have language barriers um, between you know yourselves and the people overseas. And you guys, whether you knew it or not, or whoever your designer was, probably didn't you know, did know. But it was important for you guys to have a logo or have a brand, have a visual identity that reflected both sides of the pond, so to speak. Um, and so that, that's what we thought, like, you know, normally Muslim organizations, they just throw in the Arabic calligraphy, throw in the Hindu uh, Hindi or, or, or the calligraphy yeah. just for the sake of it. But this there's meaning behind this. This is meaningful. Um, and that's what we really liked about that. We'll be right back with more from Omar Elias. This episode is sponsored by Falcon Notes. If you are into digital planners, digital journals, Falcon Notes is the company for you. They make digital planners and digital journals. Check them out at falconnotes.io. And now, back to our conversation with Omar Elias. Whether you're in America and you're putting this banner on a bake sale, or you're in Pakistan, you put it on a well, people can look at the logo and understand that this says Bani. Oh, yeah. And part of the reasoning behind that is, especially... All of us were born, like at least for from, from the nonprofit side, all of us were born in America, right? I'm going to box on like, hey man, I know I'm American born, but this is what you need. They can broke it the hell out of my face, right? <laughs> and so the idea is how can I if the thing is when I drop like an English term on them, they're like, Oh, he's like American, but yeah, like I don't want to deal with him. He's like an American boy, right? But if you kind of come in from the inside and you drop them as like Urdu connection, it's like, okay, you know, maybe he's from Pakistan if he knows these things. Right? <laughs> and it's even in the beginning of our branding. Um it's like a kind of like off topic but like when we started doing interviews um on like tv and stuff we made sure it was both so we did an interview in like i don't know it was like one in like it was like a smaller one it was like care or something that was in english and then we did one with in urdu completely and this is some like random network in like pakistan or something. and the, the goal of that again was to relate to both audiences like, that we're not we're present right mm-hmm. and it's the same thing when a politician runs and like they're disconnected from their community and the community knows that they're gonna eventually reject it the same thing, if a nonprofit is rejected by the community they're trying to help, they can't do anything. Right? Mm-hmm. If, if the community, I'm like, hey, like, you need water. He's like, nah, get out of my face. I can't force water. Like, I can't take a hose and like, t- t- drink my water. <laughs> it's not going to work. He's going to be like, bro, like, I don't want you here. And I can't do anything. I'm like miles apart. Um, hey, that, that's a really important point. I think we need to dissect that a little bit. <laughs> and is that sometimes people go in with the savior complex. Like, I'm going to go save yeah. the day and everything, right? But you have to understand that the people that you're helping have to realize that they have a problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. So is that is that a barrier that you guys ran into? Or like some people were like, no, we're good with our water. 
ah, dude, it's it's it was it was it was a mixed bag, right? For a lot of people, a lot of people knew that there's a problem with their water. Like, okay, like our life expectancy isn't that good. Or they're like, oh, like we get sick a decent amount more than the people in like the cities. Like people like were realizing that. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 more of that, that there's such a distrust within not only Pakistan, but any any country that has a lot of foreign aid coming in, there's a huge distrust between like that local community and like Western influence in general. Mm. Right? So it wasn't like, hey, like, oh, like we don't have a water problem. It's like, hey, who are you trying to solve my water problem? Who do you think you are? Why do you think there's a distrust of Western aid? Oh man, there's a lot. There's a lot of reasons, man. One is like, I'll give an example, Pakistan. Back when, uh, and I might have mentioned this to you way back, you know, but back when they were trying to raid polio in the north of Pakistan. The way that America did that, or the way that um, a lot of people are doing it, was that they sent in polio vaccinators, right? So they had these polio workers that go around vaccinate people. And these were Pakistanis by all like account, right? They looked Pakistani, spoke Urdu, everything was good, right? Um, what people didn't realize is that the American government, like the CIA, whatever, they had infiltrated that kind of group, the polio vaccinators, and they were using that as a cover to find like bin Laden, right? Um, and so that was the way they took down bin Laden was through like polio vaccinators, right? And so the the side effect that people don't think or, or hear about is that that created such a distrust between any type of health worker in the northern part of Pakistan that polio increased significantly after that, right? And so Pakistan wow. one of the only three countries in the world that polio is still endemic. I think it might be two at this point. So Afghanistan, Pakistan, and there's this country in Africa. I think it's Nigeria, but don't quote me on it. But Pakistan's reasoning is because of it was, they just didn't, they didn't trust anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why trust is so important. It's so important. And it's, if you don't have that, bro, you're not getting money. You're <laughs> not going to be able to help people. <laughs> you're just, you're basically making a LinkedIn profile with a nonprofit that doesn't do anything. That's what you're doing. <laughs> I think you just, like, for the audience, I want to say this again, because it's such an important point. At this point in the story, you guys are dealing with two major things that and when i was doing the research for this when i was looking into your story i never even this never even crossed my mind so thank you for shedding light on this but on on one side you're dealing with the the struggle to actually raise funds how do i get people to actually give me money to go build wells on the other side you're you're dealing with how do i get these people to trust me right so you're you have to build trust in two different communities at the same time for this operation to work effectively. So you have to brand yourself as, you know, people that you can trust over there in Pakistan yeah. and then also over here. And so let's, let's continue the story. Like how, how did you guys manage that? I'm, I'm really or interested to hear. What steps did you take to build that trust? Yeah. Man. For a more direct question. <laughs> that's what the LinkedIn guy was so important. It sounds so ratchet when I'm like, Hey, we found this guy on LinkedIn. Like started <laughs> What's his name? Let's give him a shout out. <laughs> Muhammad Bozda. Actually, Muhammad Bozda is a huge shout out. This man is an amazing, beautiful gem. Um, without him, there's so many things that we were, we wouldn't have been able to. It would have taken us a lot longer to do what mm. we did, right? Khair, um, I think what, what happened after that is his little project, his little nonprofit, whatever he was, organization that he was running, they already had a connection with some of the local communities that in, in rural parts of Sin. It's not the beauty mm. of that. Is I'm not going to come in and say, hey, my name is Bonnie, let me help you out. I'm coming in as this other organization that's already established some sort of trust, right? And that's why it's so important. If you ever start an international nonprofit or if you're doing any international work, it's so important to have local community activists on the ground with you because no one's going to, like, I can't vouch for myself 200,000 miles away. Like, I can't Zoom call them like, hey, man, like, I know we've never met. But I'm trying to help. 
He's like, bro, get out of my face. What the heck? First of all, they don't even have Zoom in, in, in those little parts because they don't have electricity in a lot of those areas. So it's it's such a huge barrier for people from the West that are trying to like come in. And that's part of what like plays into like that savior complex is if you don't have people on the ground, you're going to take what you've seen works here and you're going to extrapolate and apply randomly. You know, I know like uh, the best way for water to work in, in America is that we put uh, fluorine or fluoride inside of water. And because of that, uh, it helps make sure that our teeth don't fall out because it's a chemical that, that helps. If I do that box on there, like, bro, what chemical are you putting in my water? Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to kill me? Right? So it's mm. a different mindset. And I think that cultural incompetence is the biggest fault of any nonprofit that, that exists. Anyways, Khair, I think... Hold on, that, hold on. On that, on that note, on that <laughs> note. So I think we have seen, and I can't think of the names off the top of my head right now, sure. but big companies have made mistakes where, mm-hmm. uh, for example, I think Ford was one of them, maybe GM, where they introduced like a car and the name of the car was like something bad in like Spanish, <laughs> right? And it's like, it's, again, for the audiences listening, it's so important if you're expanding into international markets, you need someone from there on your yeah. team. You you can't just go in being <laughs> a chief of the It's like <laughs> uh, a, a chief a chief cult, uh, cultural competency officer. Yes. <laughs> you need that. Because you, you also don't know if like the word that you're using like means something completely different in that country is like native language. Mm, right? Exactly. And I've heard of that. I can't think of examples or not, but I've heard of that problem where like they were saying one thing and then it was like a cuss word and like, like, exactly. and like wait a minute, what? <laughs> right? So it's not just like your nonprofits that need to understand this. This is like companies at the biggest scale, oh, Fortune yeah. 500 companies that make mistakes like this. So it's really important, again, Definitely. to have people on the ground. Oh, people don't realize nonprofits are businesses. Like they run like businesses, right? And a lot of them have yeah. like a business side where they have revenue and profits and all that stuff. But if you don't run your nonprofit like a, like a business, you're not going to survive long. It's going to crash mm-hmm. your brain. And a lot of people are like, oh, how do you miss business, which is so inherently unethical, matching with nonprofit work, which is so like, like a lot of people that like I've met in like the humanitarian aid space, like business is like a bad word. Like you're saying, hey, like why profit revenue is like, ew, what the frick? Like we're doing mm-hmm. things for the sake of others. Like why am I going to get revenue profit? Or why am I going to look into these figures? Why am I going to look care about branding? Isn't marketing inherently uh, bad because you're, you're manipulating people into donating or manipulating people to trust you? But you can't do anything without that. Right? Mm-hmm. And so any nonprofit that has attempted to start, if they don't buy into the idea of that fundamentally what you're doing is marketing, you're not going to get far. You're not mm-hmm. going to be, be able to market yourself so donors can trust you. You're not going to market yourself so that the population you're trying to help can trust you. Right? So one of the definitions that I always like to look at for marketing is it's the act of making change happen. Ooh. Right. And so when we're talking about nonprofits, like you need to make change happen in Pakistan. You need to make change happen here. Like it's yeah. all you're doing is making change happen, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, let's uh, let's get into your early adopters. Like who are the people? But so we already talked about Pakistan. You had like uh, the guy Muhammad who helped you out in the beginning stages. Who over here, outside of your core team? Like how did you get the ball rolling here? Who were your early adopters? Like, well, yeah. what did those people look like? You don't have to name them by name if you don't want to. No, but, definitely. Um, you know, it's so I, I, funny. What's the right. profile of those people? Like, you know, it's so funny, bro. Like, every Pakistani in America is either like an engineer or a doctor. And if you can tap into the doctor, like that doctor category in, in of Pakistani here, you have funding. But ironically, <laughs> the four of us, none of us had any connections to doctor. <laughs> and so we couldn't, like, I remember we, we hit up, I and mean, one of the first things we did, wait, oh, so one thing that we did a lot for marketing in, in, in America 
cold emails. We sent cold emails. We sent cold emails to Masjids. We sent cold emails to, to Bezos at one point. We sent cold emails to whoever exists. Oh, the the president, the current president of US. Wait, wait, wait. Did I hear you say, you said you sent cold emails to Jeff Bezos? Yeah, yeah, the Amazon team over there. We did whatever we could, bro. We tried to find this man on LinkedIn. <laughs> we oh, we right. did what we could. Um, and and because um, it's, it's, it's what we were saying earlier that like, if someone else can vouch for my organization, that's huge. So if I can find like someone big that can vouch for our organization, like that's huge. And that like I'll talk about later, but like the LeBron well was huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And so mm. um, I, I didn't want to talk about that. I did want. That I, I really wanted to dive well, into that. Yeah. Let's, let's, well, let's hold off on that. Let's yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's interesting because what we started doing is we sent cold emails to everyone. We're trying to find someone big that we could land that can vouch for us. But we reached out to a lot of very big and prominent nonprofit organizations. Uh, we did reach out to like, uh, like I was saying earlier, like Bezos and like random big billionaires, random people, right? Whoever mm-hmm. we could reach out that, that would be like into our cause. Um, and so we started getting a few people that like respond to our cold emails, but for the most part, it was like kind of a dud, right? It didn't, it was, cold emails always like a luck thing, right? You, it has to be the right guy at the right time. He has to be feeling happy, right? There's a lot of things that go in. <laughs> but what we started doing is like, you know what, why are we even trying to do this? And the only reason we started doing those cold emails is because we felt almost incompetent with our current network. Right? We knew all these other Pakistanis have these like rich doctor friends through their parents. We didn't have that. So we were like, okay, maybe if we send cold emails, we'd get someone. Didn't work out to us. So we were like, you know what? We have a decent network here. Let's try to do that. So what we started doing is leveraging our friends and their parents. Um, so we would reach out to our friends who like had connections up now. Like, hey, like, can you vouch for Bonnie? Uh, and, and see if that could work. Um, and at this point, when we first started doing these cold emails and all this stuff, we had one well. That was this random well built by another nonprofit, not even built by us. So they're like, okay, like we're giving money to you so you can give to another nonprofit who could do this. Like, why? Why? Why are you there? Like, it's a useless middleman. Um, <laughs> and so that's why having our own connection down the line was huge. But what we did that worked out so well is because of that, we had a friend, um, and he was involved his dad was involved in some big boxing organizations and so we did a fundraiser at his house this is why we're like bro boxing doctors best they have money we did they did a fun i wasn't there for this but they drove down did a fundraiser at his house and they raised like i think it was like 25 grand in like a wow in a basement his house house just yeah, it was like in his house in his basement and i was like bro what <laughs> um that was huge for us that was like that confidence boost that we needed and then from that we're like okay you know what we can either keep trying, we kept trying to do these things where we kept hitting up this like doctor stuff, but where a lot of our money started coming in is just local friends and family around here. People that knew us didn't have to, we didn't have to build the trust of the brand if we could build the trust in us. And so people that already knew mm-hmm. us, they oh, were like, on. oh shoot. Yeah, go ahead. I want to, I want to dive in on this. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about this a little bit more. What did sure. that $25,000 do for your confidence, your self-esteem as a team at that point? Oh, that was huge, man. That was huge because it's, it's, we didn't have a lot going for us. Here's, okay, here's what I'll say. That 25,000 grand is what pushed us from staying as hold a small on, organization on. to a nonprofit. Hold, hold on. It wasn't 25,000 grand for all the people. Oh, yeah, 20, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, damn, were you rich? No, no, no. <laughs> in rupees maybe, but not in not, dollars. Um, but that 25 grand was, I think, the biggest part of what pushed us from a student organization to a nonprofit. Because um, during that whole bake sales, bake sales scene, that was 2018 fall. That's when the bake sales were happening. End of 2018, well was built. 
2019, I was still in school. We were doing student organization related things. We threw like a culture night. We uh, did teach-ins. We were doing things that you expected of a student organization, right? And I think, and I'll get into this way down, this is a huge issue we had down the line was a lot of people still thought we were a student organization instead of nonprofit. So that shift was really hard for us actually. Mm. But initially as a student organization, we we're doing a lot of student organization things. The 25 grand that we got from a different state, like this was in like, I don't know, it was like Minnesota or some like random state that we got this from some dude's basement <laughs> was like, wow, maybe there's something here that we can do, right? Um, so you're saying just, that was the moment where you guys, you guys were confident. Now we're not a student organization. Now we're a nonprofit, yeah. correct? Yeah, that was the moment. I, think. I mean, there were, there were small moments leading up to it, right? They were like, oh, like, right. hey, we're getting work done. People are buying into it. There's a brand. There's some following coming on in social media. But that moment itself was like, wow, that's a lot of money. Right? That is this a is lot of confidence. Money, yeah. This is confidence, right? So I mean, it, that's the biggest thing, right? Go ahead. I, I, the reason why I, I want to highlight that is because I was watching. Have you seen The Last Dance? No, I haven't watched it for a week. So I've Last Dance. Yeah, so last answer for those of you guys that don't know is a documentary on Michael Jordan. And so I was re-watching it. I've actually seen it once already, but last night I watched episode one again. And so during Michael Jordan's high uh, college season, first season as a freshman, he's working hard, working hard. Everyone's kind of vouching for him saying like, dude, this guy's getting better every single week. Like he just doesn't stop getting better. Uh, in the championship game, uh, they're down by one and – the coach draws up a play where Michael Jordan takes a shot. Mm -hmm. And at that time, no one's expecting Michael Jordan, this freshman kid, to actually take the shot. So naturally, he was wide open, and he sunk it. They won the championship. What he said, what Michael Jordan said after that moment was, that moment changed me from Mike to Michael Jordan. (laughs) That gave me the confidence I needed to keep growing, keep continuing. So that's why I wanted to kind of just bring Mm -hmm. that. Like sometimes – you know, we're putting in so much effort and it feels like we're not getting anywhere. Am I really co- like, is this really for me? Like, am I yeah. doing the right thing? You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure in nonprofit, you feel even more than like in the business oh, yeah. world, but like it happens, right? Sometimes you're putting in so much effort. It just takes that one little thing. It's like, yes, this is it. You know what I mean? You just yeah. need one of those things. And then uh, you're, break, you're kind of a big break. Yeah. And, and the other, yeah. the other analogy that we always like to use, it's, it's funny because you talk about a well, right? So, when it comes to building your online presence and, and like content marketing, we generally talk about this in, in the terms of like a well that you hand crank like in Pakistan, right? Yeah. So it takes, you just keep pushing stuff out, keep pushing stuff out, pushing stuff out. And you're like, dude, is this even working? Like, you know what I mean? like, is water even coming out? But then when it comes out, it's just gushing. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like boom. Yeah. Right? And so it's kind of like you guys are putting in all this effort. And I think mm-hmm. it's important to understand that the cold emails are a critical part of this journey. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not like they just woke up one day and they they got twenty five thousand dollars. They were putting in these pumps. You know what I mean? Even if those cold emails didn't get anywhere, those are the pumps that you need. So sometimes you need to just keep going through the reps, and then eventually you'll get a break like that. It's those um, early failures that we talked about in uh, one of our previous episodes. I can't remember. Right, and and uh, another thing that I want to say about cold emails is that like don't under undermine like for the audience don't undermine the importance of cold emails like cold emails one of my friends that uh, so I, I have this office here i share this with these other guys that are accountants and the one of the guys is always cold emailing people like to the point <laughs> where like i'm like bro like just relax man. just <laughs> let, let your business run itself you know what i mean like 
you don't need more. Like, but uh, like the point that I'm getting at is like he, this week he was telling me about a client that he had and this client is like a, it's a very big client. Like this is probably bigger than all his other clients combined and they're doing work for him now. And he got the call this week. And I was like, so how did you, like, how did you reach out to him? Like, how did you find this? Like, dude, I, I, you know, you know, I cold email people. I was like, <laughs> no way. And here's the crazy part. He's like, yeah, you, you know, it's crazy. I got a call today, uh, but I sent the cold email three years ago. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, sometimes people, you know, maybe it's not the right time for them. Maybe they're not really looking for that service at the time. Whether they're not looking, you know, maybe if you're a nonprofit, they don't have the money to donate at the time. But those touches that you get, sometimes they may have such a lasting impact that, you know, when they need, when they're ready to donate, when they're ready to buy this product or whatever it may be, that might just be that moment. You know what I mean? It's, Convert. It's, yeah. Yeah. Like you, you never know what can happen. That guy was probably cleaning out his email. And he's like, uh, you know, I got to unroll me. <laughs> Uh, no, so, archive, so, archive. so it turns out this guy's in like a really bad spot accounting. Oh, wow. So like now he's like, man, I really need some help. <laughs> you know, like before when he sent the email three years ago, the guy was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he actually called him because he wants to kind of take a look at, hey, man, I, I can't figure out what's going on with my finances. Like he's like, he's like, hey, I got this accounting guy who's willing to help me. Let me let me that probably opened up the opportunity for him to take more risks. And he's like, oh, OK, I got this this fallback <laughs> hit up this counting guy. No, seriously. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a pretty cool story. Well, yeah, let's, let's continue on. I'm really awesome story. Sorry to cut you off there. No, I, just, no, no, I, no. I get excited, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think, well, I mean, one of the things we talked about, you said like the 25 K um, coming yeah. from Minnesota, I noticed that on your, on, in some of your articles that uh, have been put out about Bonnie, you were from a student organization perspective, you had some support from like, um, on campus, um, entrepreneurial things like optimize or something. Tell us a little bit. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit. Like, so was that 25 K compare comparable or was optimized just kind of no, get you off no. the ground? So the 25 K we got at the end of my senior year. So 2019. Mm -hmm. Maybe 2018. Actually, I can't remember yeah. exactly for that. All these years I've been saying it might have been completely off. <laughs> they, yeah. they, this all happened. The story is linear. The, the yeah. years are <laughs> Uh, <laughs> let's actually, but, let's, let's linear, let's uh, generalize that question a little bit. Like let's, did you guys use student funding and what kind of opportunities did you guys have from the university as you yeah. were launching this? Yeah. Okay. And, and so compare that to, you know, the other funding. Yeah. Been. So I think there's two things that happened. One is because we were registered as a student organization, we would get funding $500, $600, whatever, but we couldn't use it for a while. That was for like, we wanted to throw a teaching. We wanted to do a culture night. We wanted to do this like random event. So that's where mm -hmm. that funding was going. So, I mean, if you break it down, that funding was directly going to marketing, right? In its own mm -hmm. way, right? Where we're getting people to come to events and saying like, hey, we're Bonnie, um, we're doing X, Y, Z, right? Um, and so part of the way we got people to come to those events is we leveraged our personal, like a lot of us were very well known in our circles. So we leaned in that and we'd get people to show up to like our random events and we would throw socials, we would throw whatever. Um, and people would come up, they'd meet other people and we'd brand this as like, hey, this is a way for you to kind of, it doesn't matter where you're from. This is a way for you to kind of connect to your roots, meet people that are also trying to find themselves, right? That like identity crisis, that diaspora student kid, right? So we, we hit them with, we hit them with the right spots. Hit huh? the ABCDs. 
Oh, 100%. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We went down the alphabet, but we were getting angry. Um, <laughs> what type of confused they see there? They could have been confused Arab. It didn't matter. We were bringing everyone in. Um, yeah, there were like Yemeni students. Oh, yeah. We had so many people kind of show up to these things. And that was the beauty of it, right? Um, and I think that you, I mean, this is unrelated, but it, it goes down to even like our donors now are a very big mix of Pakistanis, Arabs, Arabs in general, but like Pakistanis, Syrians, Shortens, Yemenis, all these different stuff, right? Um, so going back to, to to the funding stuff from, from the university, we're getting the money, we're using it to market to people. We know these kids have no money, they're all broke like us, but what they do have is they have parents, their parents have money and their, their networks have money. So that's the whole point of these like random culture nights or like the social that we throw the whole thing was to get people to trust us to feel like they know us and through that um get people to so buy into money and so that's where that initial funding was going real quick point i want to make here uh for the audience is that so what Ilyas is saying is they understood that their target audience is not necessarily the college students that are there it's their parents and so what you guys have to do if i'm understanding correctly is you guys have to convince these kids, you got to get them so excited that they tell their parents about this organization. Then their parents go ahead and tell other people about the organization and start giving money, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I, this reminds me of something. I remember this random Bengali kid that like we knew like decently well. And he like was convinced by like Sonny or someone else of like Bonnie's greatness at that point, right? And so he's like, you know, I should talk to my mom about this. <laughs> Sonny being the, the opportunistic entrepreneur here. You should. He's like, you know what? What's your number right now? I'll talk. And that's that was a way of doing that. He called up his mom. They pitched to Bonnie. Um, I don't even think she, I don't remember if she donated or not, but she knew of Bonnie then, and she like intimately heard from one of the founders, and that was like an important part mm-hmm. of like our growth. So that was that. So the money that we're getting from the university is going towards events. The other thing that Abdul Manan brought up that I completely forgot about is this social entrepreneurship challenge called Optimize. Optimize is a incubator, right? So you throw in ideas, you have people you can work with and they help kind of refine that idea. At that point, oh, wow, Optimize is 2017 to 2018. That's what it was. Okay, remember that now. Um, and dates are all relative. <laughs> dates are all relative, honestly. Yeah, put that as like a disclaimer in the beginning. All dates Elias says might or might not be correct. In the, the intro, in the in intro, the intro. I'll, I'll be like, hey guys, Elias drops a lot of dates here. Uh, <laughs> do not fact check him. <laughs> Please put that in there, because otherwise I'm like, wait a minute, this article says you're completely wrong. Uh, I'm like, you're right. <laughs> uh, a lot happened in a short period of time. And so in Optimize, what happened is that was the first time we pitched our like our philosophy and our idea mm-hmm. to white people. Um, and <laughs> this sounds like a weird way of putting it, but the reason I put it is everyone that we've pitched it to are like children of immigrants. So our entire narrative is like, hey, listen, you're a child of immigrants. Um, you understand the struggle that your parents went through. Your parents, you know, had to give the, the the country that raised them and nurtured them to come here for you, right? And I'm like, listen, it is our responsibility as children of immigrants to find a way to give back. And that was the pitch. And a lot of people are like, yeah, you're right. I'm a child of immigrant. I've seen my parents struggle. I want to do this. So for people that, that aren't immigrants, it's different. Real quick, real quick. So at these events, that's how you're getting people excited about this organization. Oh, that's yeah. the story you're telling. The story is we are children of immigrants. It's okay. our responsibility to give back. And, and so now you're optimized and now the <laughs> audience is different. So you have to change your story. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, so we didn't change the essence of the story. The essence of the story was, we know you're not children of immigrants, but we're children of immigrants, right? <laughs> so we have, to, we have to put that nuance in there, right? Beforehand, it's like, hey, we're all brown and Arab in this room, or we're all like uh, an ethnic minority in this room. Let's, let's buy into that. 
But in a room where there are people that aren't that ethnic minority, you can't really pitch them that because they don't relate to it, right? And so that's a huge part of marketing in general is knowing your audience and, and tailoring what your pitch is to them without changing the fundamental. Like I can't change, like, by the way, we're building wells in Southern Detroit. Like we weren't doing that, right? It didn't matter. Like, I can't be like, hey, like my audience is from Birmingham. Like, hey guys, we're putting fluoride in water and it's really good for you. Like we can't change the essence, but we can change the pitch to, to, to figure out what resonates with them and hit them with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we did, right? So an optimized we, 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 we changed the pitch. I remember every meeting. So the way Optimize set up is you have to go to these monthly meetings. You sit down, not monthly, it was like maybe like every two, three months, whatever. And you sit down, you sit with like three or four, not even three or four, a good amount of people that were experts in their field. Right? These are people who are entrepreneurs, they're successful, investment bankers, whatever it is, they have some sort of background that qualifies them to be an advisor for upcoming projects. And they were essential in terms of like, how do we take this narrative and deliver it to different types of people? Right. Mm. So there might be two people in the room that were convinced of our idea. And there's two people that are like, uh, I don't know. And then we would know, okay, we got to refine this idea. We got to refine the pitch a little bit so that everyone in the room buys into it. So every month, that's what was happening. Right? It was refining that pitch. So even before, like, while we're building this, like, Bonnie brand, a lot of it was, like, back and forth of refining just the pitch, right? Because, you know, the elevator pitch, probably a lot of people have heard of, of the idea of you get an elevator. You have 60 seconds or 10 seconds, whatever, to pitch yourself to, like, Bill Gates, right? And so I always said this is a really dumb example, but like, it turns out like, shoot, this is actually kind of legit, right? The essence of it's true. You have a few minutes in the room. I got to convince you that I'm trustworthy, my organization trustworthy. And so we were testing it out on these like random people and optimized. And so at the end of it, they liked our thing so much that they invited us to, to be one of the, the highlighted speakers of like their, their culminating event at the end, right? And so that was like the final, like, wow, can this work? And so we did our pitch. People liked it. People bought into it. They gave us like $5,000, a little check. And so... I remember that was big. That was big because it was legitimacy from an established organization. Mm-hmm. And we were so happy that Optimizer had already spent like years building their brand. Now, what we did is we just took their approval and we're like, hey, mm-hmm. they said we're good. We're good. And then we had a picture of us holding a big check. It's small <laughs> things. It's small things people like this. Sort of when we started putting up pictures of us holding a check, we're like, whoa, like they must be legit. <laughs> I could have printed that check out myself, but people saw the big check and they were like really impressed. There, 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 could have been a, there could have been a decimal after the five and it, it was <laughs> simple. <laughs> like it could have been 0.5, but they're not going to know, right? And, and, and that was like a huge thing that I didn't realize in the beginning that people, there are already markers of success that exist in society. Mm-hmm. If I co-op those and I, or co-op sounds like I'm like doing something illegal. If I like reach those, Mm-hmm. pinnacles of success as th- that is determined by society people trust it more mm. right so i already had this organization that was established say like hey they're good and then i remember president social the, uh, the, the 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 president of the university was like hey there's a lot of great projects come out of you of them and he highlighted this one project and he highlighted you of the, or he highlighted bunny we took that quote and we sent it to everyone in the open <laughs> it didn't matter who you were you were getting that quote like hey guys the the president of the university of michigan you know top five school in the country like whatever their pitch was because now it's like, there's already legitimacy behind them. Mm. Why am I going to work so hard to convince you I'm legitimate when I can say, hey, this guy who is, you know, is legitimate says I'm legitimate. If Obama told you Bonnie was legit, you'd be like, damn, like, he's probably legit. Right, right, right. Versus if I'm like, hey, Bonnie's legit. Like, bro, India, yes, you're a YouTuber, please. <laughs> something different, right? Like, it's a Yo. different mindset. Yo, I want to stop here. There's so much in this story that I feel like <laughs> oh, we can take away with. Like, and we haven't even gotten to like, I know. Probably still a lot. like there's a lot. 20, I mean, we're probably still in 96, you know what I mean? Like with, with Ilyasa dates. But um, so one thing I want to highlight here is that 
you know, when you're going towards a, so in marketing, we have A-B testing, right? So you run a campaign with a particular set of, uh, you know, it's one style, one set of creative, one set of copy, whatever it may be. You run it for one audience and then there's, that's A, that's ad set A. And then ad set B is, you know, you, you try some different things, you change it up and you see which one converts better. And so essentially what Elias's team is doing here with their pitches is they're doing A-B testing for how long did you say months? Yeah. And every month they're going back and they're refining their pitch, refining their pitch. And so the real important part is like, you have to understand, like, I think a lot of organizations get into this trap where they think that, hey, you know, we created a mission statement and this is it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. this is us. And, and like, you look at it, you're like, bro, it, there's like a grammar mistake in here. You know what I mean? like, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and let me ask you this, uh, Omar, is the from from the initial to the final where they were like, hey, we want to put you on this, you know, um, you know, top two list or whatever you said. How how drastic was that change? Or was it just a matter of like wording it differently, spinning it differently? Dude, a lot of it was just spinning it differently. Like uh-huh. It was. I mean, I've always like I think even beforehand, like I've done pitches for other organizations, other, other things I've started. And what I had started realizing is that it's not really like what you say that matters. It's more of like how you like make the audience feel at the end. Right? Mm. If I get you inspired by the end of it, I could have said like, I could have been selling diapers and you'd be like, whoa, like maybe I'll invest in it. Right. <laughs> but you Hold on. You just, you just summarize branding in, <laughs> in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all about how you make people feel. Right. hundred percent. hundred percent. hundred percent. And I think this is why this is again, like, conversation we can have like a little bit later but it's why there was like a little delayed success in bonnie because we spent so much time on making sure there's substance that we like didn't brand as hard as we should have until like 2020 during the pandemic and it got hard with like everything right um because we wanted something of substance there but what i realized when we were doing the branding in 2020 like this past year it didn't matter like all that substance that we had people didn't really care to be honest like a lot of some people wanted to fact check some people whatever out of like thousands of people that donated maybe there'd be a couple who'd be like hey like can we like see the well live or something like people would ask right mm-hmm. for the most part you can get away with just branding this is like an illegal life skill tip okay so <laughs> I think you guys should take take what you will from it but, hey so I, I did want to touch on that you mentioned you know the university this program this incubator program saying you yeah. guys are the, you know getting that check and then also the, the president uh, signing off on you, mm-hmm. giving you the sense of legitimacy. Yeah. I, I think what Elias is also hinting at here is that, you know, you could have faked that. You know what I mean? But I think going back to that earlier point we made in the story is like, hey, you want to make sure that people can't poke holes in your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So even oh. though you like, you probably could have just had, you know, a picture of a check, like the, the whole point is not, it's not the check. You know, it's not that picture of the check. It's about, this is a story and this is the work we put in. And these are just signposts. Like, Hey, this is a little reflection of, Hey, we're putting in this effort. And it's a reflection of you guys spent time crafting that pitch. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You guys went back and forth every single month until you got to the point where it's, you know, the best one or one of the top two, whatever it was. Yeah. Right. And so, and same with the president of the university is like, it's, I, I think nowadays you could probably just fake a quote or something, you know, no one's going to really oh, yeah. fact check you get away with it. But, the the level of confidence that I believe that probably gave you guys is 
like it's not going to be the same if you know you're lying about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? 100%. And yeah. I think there's something more powerful of like, if you can release quotes from like the university president, all that stuff, and people look to fact check you, people do, like obviously for nonprofit, and they find that it's legit, there's more inherent trust that comes with it, right? Mm. If they're like, okay, they're not lying about their branding. And I mean, that goes into like authentic branding itself, right? And making sure that your brand actually has some substance. If I can go back to it, and I poke holes, there will be people that like will use that like as a platform to be like, look like Bonnie's lying this entire time. Like they were trash. I can't believe they did that. And that's like, it destroys whatever credibility you've built up anyways, right? And so when someone can, oh, you know, like the work cited page in a paper, if someone can go back and find the work cited and they mm-hmm. can't find anything wrong, they're like, that. like, okay, you know what? Like they must be legit, right? Now, one of the things that you guys also did, I noticed to increase your trust is not only did you guys have interviews with care, I wrote this list down. You guys have articles in the Michigan daily, which is the local campus newspaper. I assume then there's like um, LeBron wire, the Los Angeles times. We'll get into that. But I guess my question is how, like who made those connections? Like what was that process? Like where, you know, obviously you need to get the word out about what you're doing and you have all these articles written about you. Yeah. Walk us through Um, that. It was, because that I gives legitimacy to Pani too. I'm like Googling oh, Pani and Project, and it's like, give me articles from random, totally random what? website. Yeah. I was like, well, what's going on? <laughs> it was, so in our quest for legitimacy, we hit up a lot of different people. We realized that that the media that people search is very important. Your SEO, right? Your search yeah. engine optimization, whatever's out there about you speaks before you can speak. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was how can we control that narrative? Right? Yeah. I don't want someone else to control my narrative. I want to control my own narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is, okay, we need newspapers to pick us up. They're not picking us up right now. The Michigan Daily is picking us up because they're like the local newspaper. I'm live. Some of the local stuff was here. And so we did a lot of things. Um, so the first big one, we did. We had a few ones in Pakistan that I'll talk about. But the first big one here in the U.S. was the LeBron James. <laughs> and this was the like the baby, the byproduct and the, and the child of uh, one of the co-founders, Sunny Khan, and one of the other guys who works in Pani Thing, Staha. Um, Sonny loves LeBron like undyingly so like, I don't I, I don't fully understand that deep love that he has but <laughs> part of that he's like you know what it'd be interesting if I can take this love that I have for LeBron and we just build a well for it right? and he's like you know what? we can take this well and then we can like market it later down the line uh, or at least send this to the team like hey look Bonnie cares about you your name's in Pakistan and uh, oh inside school we've done that for a few celebrities where mm-hmm. like we've built a well and then we've written their name on the well and it's sent to their team a lot of times, some majority of times, they just ignore us. But you know, once in a while, some guys are like, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." He'll connect this to someone else. He'll connect this to someone else. So again, it's like it's basically mm-hmm. our way of cold emails, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if I send the cold email and there's nothing of some, if I send the cold email, and there's nothing for you. You're not gonna open the cold email. You're not gonna respond. But if I send the cold email to you and it has a well with your name on it, you're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, <laughs> let me double check." With you. And so we did that for a lot, not a lot, but for a few influencers, a few like really big influencers, we tried that method with. Um, so, th- so so that was on purpose where you guys built a well gave it a name so i'm assuming sunny was the one who yeah <laughs> gave the name so, so sunny built the well i don't i don't even know if he did it for the purpose of marketing he just really loves lebron mm-hmm. and then as soon as we got the well back he's like you know it'd be cool if i can like reach out to lebron and do this so we sent it like lebron's manager sent it oh, bro if you guys knew how much sunny cold emailed it's insane <laughs> this man is like a cold email master like you say your friend does it sunny will cold email every person on your financial team, he will find like anyone who's roughly associated with like a figure and he'll find someone that can connect him to someone who can connect him to someone through cold emails. That's what he did with the LeBron one. He tried 
sliding LeBron's DMs that clearly didn't work, obviously. Um, he slid in LeBron's Twitter that didn't work. He slid in a lot of different of LeBron's things. Say, this is not working. We got to find people that are associated with LeBron. So he found like LeBron's like team managers. He found LeBron's like marketers. He found like LeBron's like water boy. He found a lot of different people, right? Um, and through that, some people would like send them off. Some people would be like, yeah, like we'll connect you here and here. The the final connection to LeBron was never. <laughs> that was the one thing but we realized the, the story progress. is still good itself someone connected oh yeah a reporter yeah and they're like hey this is kind of cool we want to interview this story and mm. so sunny's like bet so sunny's like, Paul, <laughs> talks to Paul, the reporter and they write up this article there's two articles i think one in the la times one in like lebron wire or something about this like <laughs> LeBron Dude, well. you have the score on there i'm pretty sure it isn't the score like canadian company or something <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the score the score. I yeah, yeah. the score you have an article on the score yeah yeah the article on the score so that lebron games well because further than we ever thought and again it goes back to that whole thing of the legitimacy from someone else legitimacy from someone else mm-hmm. people didn't even fully read lebron james well but a lot of people hit us up like wow i can't believe like lebron saw you well and then we'd have to clarify like lebron didn't see it. i mean he might have seen it. we don't know but like you know they're like wow lebron loves you guys like i mean i don't i don't know about that but you know like he we exist somewhere in his like hey, why, why don't we just ask lebron i mean hey lebron do you guys actually do you love bonnie or not i mean he's one of our listeners right <laughs> yeah. oh please lebron if you if you're out there we can build you another one if you want um so it was it was it's just a random story because it was yeah. so unintentional, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, well, you said you don't know if it's intentional or not. We probably have to ask Sonny. Yeah, Text him right true. now or something. <laughs> Sonny, what are you doing? Yo, was this intentional or not? Because we want to know. Branding Deep Dive wants to know. Branding Deep Dive wants to know. I am interested to hear. Like, I, I do want to know. So my question when I see that is like, did, I mean, from what it sounds like, he didn't start with the end goal in mind. Right, but like Sunny is a raw student. Though. I'll put that so <laughs> so that that should put some perspective in, in, in so what he most likely was doing with it. So he, you're saying it is definitely a possibility that he started with okay, how do we get an article about mm-hmm. LeBron James and this well? Mm-hmm. Like, so first yeah. off, let's, let's talk about like that's a good story. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you if you want to get the attention of newspapers and you want to provide legitimacy legitimacy to your organization you need to run with stories like that you know Mm -hmm. what i mean you need to start crafting stories like that and start or even starting your own network like you guys started with care you guys started with the michigan daily those are two things as a student organization you have easy access to muslim organization and then the local campus organization yeah and the other thing is like especially when you talked about cold emailing Again, I love how we talked about cold emailing on this episode because people think it's probably not the best way to go uh, or it's probably dead. You know what I mean? People I have this kind of uh, notion that it's not really effective, but clearly it is. And so what I wanted to highlight is that when you're trying to, when you have an ask from these organizations, you need to put it up on a platter. You can't mm-hmm. make them do the work. You know what I mean? Like you can't be like, hey, we want you to come interview us. You figure out the story. You figure out what you're yeah. going to say. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, this is what we're doing. You want to write about it? Like, just think about like, if I'm a newspaper writer, right? If I write for an article, uh, if I write for a company, like I want something where I know this is going to be a good story. And I already kind of have the premise of the story. Mm-hmm. Then I know, okay, this is going to be good. Boom, I'll write it. But if you're telling me, Hey, it's a non- we're a nonprofit. We build walls in Pakistan. Like, okay, cool. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. we're going to come find out like 
the biggest story. You know what I mean? Like find out in the next episode. They don't care at all. Right. So it's um, it, again the, the message here is that find your stories and then make it easy for people to pick up on the stories and share the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that just reminded me of another point. Uh, not even a point, but another story of like when we tried to enter the Pakistan network, right? Like we were getting big in America, people in New York, but we were like, we need Pakistanis to know that we exist. Like obviously the people that we serve know, but like I want a random dude on the street to be like, oh Bonnie, yeah, this is this. Glass of water, and like there's an organization called this, right? Like, I wanted people to know us, and so we started hitting up like the randomest not even the random, we started hitting up the biggest newspaper agencies across. But we hit up Dawn News, we hit up I don't know if you guys have heard of Barlow, Barlow's like a BuzzFeed of Pakistan. We hit up um, there's another like organization like Barlow, but like a lot of these like really big hip organizations, and a lot of these like old school organizations like Dawn and like whatever the heck the other um, newspaper agencies are. And from that, it, what you were saying earlier, like, we have to do all the work. It just reminded me, because I remember one <laughs> one organization that we hit up, they're like, yeah, we love your story, we love all this. It's like, can you just, like, write it out? Like, the, <laughs> he's like, at first, like, can you just write out, like, the outline of it? I'm like, yeah, don't worry. I sent him an outline. He's like, yeah, can you, like, expand on a few points? I'm like, yeah, I got you. Like, can you actually clarify what you have here? I'm like, yeah, he's like, Actually, can you put like a quote from yourself in this? And by the end of it, I had like written like a majority of it. He's like, bad, perfect. And then he read it. And that's like the, the underside of like the marketing world that you're not going to realize that a lot of people that like end up making it, maybe I'm generalizing, but from my experience, anytime that we try to interact with like newspapers, a lot of times, especially if you're on the come up, you're like a side story. You know, like the story that they throw out because they're like, ah, like, okay, like it's, maybe it's a feel good, maybe there's way bigger stories that they're chasing right now, right? And so, if you can do most of the work for them, they're like, you know, this is like a this is like an easy throw this in there. I have another article to my name type of thing. So, it's like, you know, when you're, you're in class and you like, are doing well, but there's like extra credit, and you're like, you know what, I'll just do it just in case, type of thing. Like, just so, like, mm-hmm. in case something happens, there's something out there <laughs> that can protect me. That was this for him, I feel like. Like, he kind of just threw this out there. He's like, I might not have a good week next week. I might not come up with a story. There's like a good story on the back where I can throw. So there's that. Yeah. Wow. That reminds that reminds me of another one. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> on Instagram, we we found so like when we were first looking out for like legitimate organizations, this is before we had a LeBron or anything. We found random, like these are like the most I can't name drop them now because I'm about to call them trashy. But like a lot of them are like really like like third rate, third scale, like organizations that exist that you can like put like, they're almost like blogs, but they have like a decent following for some reason. Mm-hmm. And like, you can release, they're like the TMZ, but like the third rate level, right? So they're I remember in the beginning class. we were looking, huh? They're not first class. Yeah, not from, <laughs> they're like 14th class, maybe. <laughs> and so we were looking to them to release our name. And then we realized there's something called brand protection. Um, <laughs> you don't want to put your name and your brand in things that are not like savory. Right. Like if there's a if there's something that's like almost trash, that's like trying to that's like highlighting your organization. People like, wait a minute, they were highlighted here. I don't know how I feel. It's the same way that like people still to this day, like if I see an article on BuzzFeed, like a news article that's supposed to be serious. I'm like, but is that really true? I'm like, this is the same network that releases like what are the take this quiz and find out which Harry Potter character you are. Right. And so there's like that brand protection. I'm like, okay. I need to make sure that if we're releasing content about Bonnie, mm-hmm. it's exclusive, at least the ones where we're giving like our own quotes, it's exclusive to things that are not unsafe, right? 
I, I really like where this is going. I didn't expect this episode to go here, but um, that's a really good point you brought up. And I think, again, the definition that we always uh, talk about for, for branding on this podcast is that it's the gut feeling that people have of your, you know, of you, right? And so... Reputation. Yeah, like your reputation. So when, if you start associating with these second rate things and things that yeah. may not necessarily have a good, uh, like good people already have a negative gut feeling towards people have a bad reputation towards they're also going to start associating that with you, which is why if you think about it, like it all comes full circle. It's like when you get this, this check, when you get this university president signing off on you, you think that's why they're blasting it out. So crazy is like, Hey, look, mm-hmm. we're legit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like yeah. now you can start associating these things. Like people associate university of Michigan with high class education. So you're really getting, a lot of leverage through uh, that kind of thing. So, oh yeah, really uh, awesome, man! Wow. This is Ahmed Chima, and I know exactly what you're thinking. That was a really abrupt ending. That's because that's not actually the end. We initially planned on recording this conversation for an hour, but we ended up recording another hour after this point. So we decided to split this episode into two parts. If you're still listening, that means you just finished part one. If you want to listen to part two, it's available on the same podcast player that you're listening to this on. So check it out. Oh, and I almost forgot. Usually at the end of these episodes, we have a few key takeaways. Since this episode got split into two parts, we're going to save that for part two. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.